You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hey, we're back with another round of Welcome to the Blumhouse. Blumhouse Production Studios, home for movies that weren't good enough for theatrical release. So did I say that out loud? I think I said that in the last one, too. I mean, for whatever it's a company that, like, before this exclusively has been putting out theatrical films, and suddenly they're, like, shuttling off a certain amount onto, like, a, a streaming network. It, I mean, immediately you go... I'm assuming these just weren't good enough for theatrical release, right? You weren't like, oh, we're so excited that you get to see this movie we're so proud of because we just dumped it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I'm waiting for James Wan pre- sort of presents. <laughs> yeah. James Wan is tertiarily involved with... No, he's not involved with these. But the, let's see, there was four before. So these are the last two of the eight that have so far come out. Yeah. We just previously reviewed the previous two from the series, Bingo Hell and Black as Night. Other people saw the previous four, like Luane was one of them. I didn't see them. I heard they were eh. But these two, They're eh. wow, excitement was not high on my list for covering these per se because of previous experience. But I gotta say, one of my favorite ones so far actually is in this, and one of my least favorite ones so far is yep. in this. <laughs> Interesting. So we're reviewing Madres and The Manor. But before we get started, let's meet our crew! Chris, edit in music here that's really excited and a crowd going, yay, da, or don't, da, it's fine. Put the Price is Right theme up. We've got Luane. Hey, how's it going? Chad. Hi. And Davey. Hello, everybody. All right, so we're going to get started off with Madres. I think it's the only one so far that has a lot of non-English language speaking in it. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Yes. You have to tell me. I haven't seen the other ones. It's not entirely that. In fact, that's kind of a point of this thing. Ariana Guerrera plays Diana. She's very pregnant. She's just moved from L.A. with her husband, Beto, played by Tenash Huerta, who, if you saw The Forever Purge, you just saw him in that in a major role. But it's 1970s California. He's working on a farm, a higher-level farmhand type deal. There's side stuff about pesticides that they're using. Whatever. We'll get to that. Diana's going through the belongings of the family that lived in the house where she is now, which for some reason are still there and uh, she starts to have weird visions people in the neighborhood start talking about there's a curse on the population of kids and young mothers in the area she starts to become convinced this is somehow connected to a cover-up with pesticides and what's going on with that all right so this definitely feels like one of those things that's going to be politically charged and it is just not what you think the political charged level of it is in fact the first Three quarters of this film, I, I think it just barely touches on being horror. It's more of a sort of like character drama, mystery thriller. And then the last third is sort of like, okay, now here's the part where we get to A, the stuff that's actually kind of scary and B, 
oh yeah, this is actually about a completely different political issue. Right. The scariest part is really the end credits where it's like, and here's what actually happened in real life. And here's how this is still happening now. And you go, that's fucking terrifying. This is a message movie of the week that just happens to have some horror elements to get you to actually watch it. I definitely like the concept, yeah. but like it just wasn't scary. There's a lot of interesting things it does in it, but none of them kind of end up mattering. Like the whole yeah. Mexican identity thing. She doesn't speak Spanish because her mother would not let him do it, right? She didn't want them to be Spanish. She had no pride in that. And then she's married to a guy and he's working in an environment where almost everybody speaks Spanish. And she's an alien, even though, I mean, they even call her a gringo a couple of times, even though she's clearly not. And the guy who's the boss above him is Hispanic looking, but they basically hired Beto, the husband, because they wanted a real Mexican. So that sort of thing will play into it later, but not in the way that you kind of think it I don't know. Without the haunting stuff, this is just a better lifetime drama with a message. You're right. The most horrific bit is the bit at the end after the movie is over. Because, I mean, it sneaks in stuff with, like, a ghostly figure. But the ghostly figure is kind of ridiculous and not well planned out. And is just there when they're like, I guess we need something here. Because most of this is just dry as dirt tedious. It does the first act thing that a lot of horror movies do where it's, oh, we don't know if it's real or if it's just in someone's head. But that's a lot of the horror elements for the entire movie. And it just starts to get really fucking grating. I feel like this movie is like three quarters dark waters. And then the last bit of it is Wind River. And I'm going to be honest, Wind River's a better movie. And I wish that this whole movie had just been about what the movie ended on. Because that was energizing and upsetting. And we'd spent maybe ten legitimate minutes with it. That is entirely the problem, that you sit through so much boring movie that's misleading you to be about some other thing entirely. And then even the horrors in question aren't Mm -hmm. what the movie was pointing you at. They're like, oh, no, it's actually this other thing entirely, which not like a twist. It's, well, we changed our minds. (laughs) Yeah, you you could absolutely have taken the supernatural element out of this and it wouldn't have mattered at all, except you couldn't call it a horror movie. Right. That's about the only thing in the first two thirds, giving it the feel of that. And when they are doing horror, it's so cliche. There's a bit like where she breaks an egg open and then like blood comes out of it and she immediately clutches her stomach as if like we didn't get it. What does it mean? (laughs) This stuff that's like (laughs) touching on the Santeria type mysticism. The ish. Latino Catholic. And it's just kind of around the borders of it. As a non-Latin person... There's a lot of stuff I felt like maybe would have connected more with me if I was, because there's definitely a lot of sociological stuff in there. Like you said, other people going like, oh, she's not really a Latino if she doesn't speak Spanish. People just kind of judging her and what have you. But you never really know or care enough about her to give that much of a shit what other people care about her. In the second into the third act, there's a scene where she, like, figures it out. And the way they shot it, it calls back to a lot of conversations she had Mm -hmm. or things she witnessed and it puts it in context i thought that scene was great if the movie could have been more like that i probably would have liked it more especially because i mean there's many different themes that they try to dig into here but they never really tie up at the end but one of them was just being a woman which is a pain in the ass so (laughs) especially well especially when it comes to like pregnancy and you know when we try to have our kid we had some issues and stuff like some of the things they talk about in here like i I remember feeling those feelings Mm -hmm. and that part I connected to. Everything else was a paint-by-numbers horror. Agreed. Let's get a final thoughts on this one. Davey, get us started. 
this isn't terribly good. It has a lot on its mind, and that is by far the best and most interesting thing about it. And if it gets someone to do some Wikipedia research on stuff that is important, then I believe that is a net positive. I think you can have net positives for good movies, too, though which this is not. It's not the worst of the Blumhouse 8. I've only seen six of them, but it's not the worst because that is still the lie from last year, which is a piece of shit. But this movie is too busy trying to make a point to actually give us interesting characters or scares or plots or twists or good cinematography or good editing. I could keep going. So I'm going to give this three out of 10 surprise aren't you shocked that i was the bad guy no we kind of figured <laughs> chad pick a lane that's it like pick a lane and stick with it it's a very good concept i liked it in parts but pick a lane and then finish it i'm gonna give this five out of ten monsanos luane I think this suffers from the thing that a lot of message movies has, which is it's focused on the message. So it doesn't put the work into the other stuff, but I don't think it handles its message well enough either. I mean, you got more out of that end, the post-movie bit, to warrant your attention than you did trying to connect us to these people. There's a couple of interesting little bits like Chad talked about, where there's a reveal of information with a sort of slideshow, and then they did something slightly different with her research scene using split screen that at least made it a little less monotonous. But in the end, it's right in the middle. It's 2.5 out of 5 potential birth defects. Yeah, and this is not entertaining. It stimulates you only in the last few minutes. I'm like, I didn't need the rest of this movie to get to that thing because it just wasn't very well made. It's not even all over the place. It just kind of drags. There's a lot of stuff that the camera makes a point of like sort of spending too much time focusing on to let you know that's important when a half hour later, that's supposed to be a huge twist. You're like, yeah, okay, look, (laughs) if you keep pointing at this thing, it's like Chekhov's Agua Fresca is all I'm saying sag. Anyway, uh, I, I didn't care for this at all. I thought this was super dull. I mean, I know all about what their point is they're talking about. I mean, like, nothing was a surprise to me, but every time you have it thrown back out again, you're like, I can't believe this is the world we still live in, that this shit is still going on. So, outside of that, and that people do need to be reminded about that, uh, I'm gonna give this 3 out of 10 Eugenies that need to be let out of the bottle. Bad pun, and you'll only get it if you've watched the end of the movie. We're gonna go to the second one here, which I thought was significantly better, and actually, although it definitely feels like a TV movie, it's pretty entertaining, and that's the manner, and I think that's partially because, wow, what a great cast here. You get the wonderful Barbara Hershey, who now is in her 70s. She's playing a woman who just turned 70, but in real life, I think she's like 73 now. She certainly doesn't look it. And she is like, one of these people, she's Judith, she's full of joie de vivre, like she's very close with her grandson, who's a teenager, you know, like almost man proper. I mean, they get into it a little bit, it's not important, but ultimately the father died, and when that happened, the mom sort of pulled away, and the grandmother and, and son sort of formed a bond. But on her 70th birthday, she has a stroke, they're like, well, you have Parkinson's, and we're going to move you into nursing home. And I think there's officially one good movie ever that took place in a nursing home where everything is delightful, and that's Cocoon, right? Any other time a nursing home is involved, some bad, dark shit is going to happen. So, you know, like real life. (laughs) 
So she goes in there and she starts meeting people that seem nice enough. I mean, some of the staff are very nice. Like Sarah Payton plays a woman named Liesel. There's others who are like right on the edge of Nurse Ratched, not quite full gone, but you know, like they seem like they're going to get worse probably. And she's got this totally mentally, practically gone roommate, uh, Annette, who keeps having nightmares about something in her room. But then there's people she really likes there, like uh, Fran Bennett as Ruth, Trish by Jill Larson, and of course the great and always fun Bruce Davidson as Roland, who of course is older but very flirtatious still guy. She's noticed there's a couple different residents there who are older who seem to be very, very scared about something. And one night she's in bed and she's hearing her roommate screaming about something again, seeing something, and then she sees it. There's some sort of creature thing in the room. What was it? What happened? The staff never believes this. It gives them an excuse to say more. She can't be off site. She can't leave. There's like a lock on the door so no one can ever go outside without a staff member with them. She's even starting to like wonder what's going on. Like, like they're saying, well, you might have Parkinson's related dementia. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I presume it was because it's a horror movie. You know, of course, she's not just having dementia. Something darker and weirder is going on. And that actually leads to a certain degree of fun because she never is the helpless person. She's stuck by the strictures of the situation that she's in, but man, she is not having it. After she convinces them, she's got her, her grandson on her side as well. And it ends to one of those endings you go, wouldn't it be funny if they did this? And then they do it and you're like, wow, movie, you did that. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely had like a Twilight Zone end to it versus like a, a natural horror movie ending. Well, yeah, because with a movie set up like this, you know there's going to be some shady shit. So it's just a matter of which type of shady shit it's going to be and then how it's going to resolve. And there's a decision they make at the end that I'm like, yay, I'm glad you did that. I mean, I'm not because, oh, no, you did that. But I totally get it. It works. And I am impressed you were willing to do that. Also, I know she's in her 70s, but damn, she still looks good. And I wouldn't have believed she was that old had I not looked it up. It's funny how well you can take care of yourself when you're rich and famous. <laughs> oh, totally. I'd say the biggest thing about this movie that makes it work so well is her relationship with her grandson, Josh, played by Nicholas Alexander, who looks like if you took the kid who played Joker on Gotham and put him in a photocopier. See, I was thinking Quicksilver from X-Men. Ooh. He looked like a younger Quicksilver. Also that. Their relationship really sparkles, and Alexander is really good at holding his own <laughs> against Barbara fucking Hershey, and it makes this whole movie sparkle. Even when it gets a little silly, and even when it gets a little dumb, it never stops being entertaining. I think predominantly because of that relationship. She brings so much life. I love that she's the old lady that drives everybody crazy because she won't stop saying fuck. And she's like <laughs> that. She's an old hippie. She's well illustrated. We know who this person is and the type of person she is. If you're lucky, you have someone like her in your life. So I want to be that type of old person. Not with Parkinson's, mind you, but you know what I mean. All the, all the yeah. energy and life and the fuck you. I mean, I hope that by the time I'm in an uh, old age home, they're not just still all playing bridge. I mean, I'd hope they have video game stations set up or something <laughs> one would hope but yeah i think the movie never knows how to not make its characters fun and that makes a huge difference it is silly it gets very silly 
but I was kind of on its side. I think at its worst, this just looks like a TV movie. It doesn't have a huge amount of style. The monsters could have used a little more work, a little more design. That part of it's just okay. But honestly, unlike a lot of other horror films that we've talked about on the series, this one, you're, you end up not really being there for the horror. You're there for just to watch Barbara Hershey do what she's going to do. It actually has the opposite effect of the previous one we just discussed, which is I didn't care about anybody in that one. And in this one, I like everybody, even the people you're not supposed to like because you're not supposed to like them. But there's more depth to all of these people. Even the character decision that I made a reference to absolutely makes sense based on the people that they've created in this movie and the relationships they've established. And I think that's way more depth than a goofy, nearly TV movie about a scary nursing home should be. Also, there's no reason you should have a nursing home with aged people in varnished wood with giant brick steps everywhere. That's just (laughs) not how a facility like that works. (laughs) But did it look good on camera? Oh, it looked great on camera, but it's going to kill like half the residents. (laughs) (laughs) The difference between these two movies is the first movie took all its time trying to set tone, but it couldn't figure out what it wanted to be, whereas this one knew exactly what it wanted to be. And like the previous one, it's not really scary, at least to me, but because the story was more compelling and the characters were more compelling, it was still fun to watch. Agreed. Yeah. Chad, continue on into your final thoughts. I watched Madres first and going into this, I'm like, uh, and I watched them back to back, but this one was definitely easier, more fun. If there's a checklist for like just making a solid good movie, whether, you know, the topic is good or not, it checks all the boxes. It's not perfect. It's not great, but it's good. It's worth your time, especially if it's streaming. Seven out of five Tree of Lives. Lives? Tree of Lives? Lives. Trees of Life? There There we go. Luane. I think you hit the nail on the head. This is fun. This is enjoyable to watch. Luckily for me, I watched this one first, so I wasn't going into it going, "Uh, yeah, I mean, it has sort of the TV movie look, but I don't care. I used to watch a lot of horror TVs. Half of the Stephen King miniseries were TV miniseries. They still look pretty good. Speaking of which, was that Mick Garris at the end of that? At the birthday party, I swear to God, I saw him standing just off to one side. I don't know what he's doing there, but anyway. In the end, this was fun. I don't know that it's my favorite of the Blumhouse, but it might be. So it's going to get four out of five references to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. (laughs) Davey? This movie is a ton of fun. I think the decision to pair it with Madres is a terrible one. I think there's a very good argument that this is also a message movie because a lot of it deals with stuff like elder abuse and why nursing homes are the fucking worst in a very obviously heightened and supernatural but more realistic and empathetic way. So seeing how poorly that type of thing can be done versus this is a bafflingly weird decision. This is better than a lot of the Blumhouse movies that go to theaters. I don't know if it's my favorite, like Luane, but I think it's tied with Evil Eye from last year. The cast is really good. It's not scary, but it's just spooky enough to really make it work. Yeah, I'm going to give this 7 out of 10 ominous birthday parties. It's light fun. It's certainly no new masterpiece or anything, but if you're like looking for something to watch like around Halloween that you haven't seen yet, you don't own Shudder, but you do have Amazon. Well, there you go. <laughs> this is one I'd say, sure. I realize a specific set of strictures, but most people I know in regular life outside of the one of us crew don't have subscriptions to like nine streaming services. So they're like, if lucky, they might have two. And one of them is usually not Shudder. Unfortunately, I keep trying to change that. Cowards. Good cast. Could have been shot better, certainly, but it's efficient enough. It gets in and it gets out. It's a quick running time. At the end, I was like, hell yeah, that's a cool way to end this movie. And then I'll get back to it. I should have expected it. But I'm going (laughs) to give this 
six and a half out of 10. And I'm give also like Luane did nods to a movie, but nods to Black Swan, which this movie specifically was pointing at as Barbara Hershey, having previously been in that playing an older ballet dancer like she is here. I spent all Fantastic Fest because they were doing this three and a half some hour documentary there about the history of folk horror films. And I keep trying to lay down my point here. Let's say you have need of magic on some level. You need to have access to magic, but it's going to require making a deal with some sort of entity, some sort of higher power. Never go with any entity from any mythology except nature gods because you win every time with nature gods. If it's a nature deity, it doesn't matter how fucked up and dark it is, you will win. If it's anything else, they'll fuck you over just because it's funny. 